Oh, you might ask a question. Why would anyone care about Republican rescue unless you were already a committed Republican? Well, partially because without the Republican Party uh, flying right, straight, getting up off the mat, putting itself back together, healing some divisions, uh, we've got basically a one-party system, and that's never good. Uh, Chris Christie... Um, has written a book called Republican Rescue. It's coming out in uh, a couple of weeks. It's not available yet, but it has a great cover. It shows a pachyderm, uh, an elephant holding a life preserver in its trunk. Uh, uh, Governor Christie, always great to speak with you, and congratulations. Can't wait to see the new book. Michael, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it coming out, too. Uh, I'm sure you are. Um, tell me about this. You, you've been governor of a state very successfully for two terms. And if you were still governor of New Jersey, would you be working with uh, Joe Biden and the Democratic administration to um, help to put a vaccination mandate in place in New Jersey? No, I don't think there should be vaccine mandates, Michael. I think that I've always thought as conservative that the right way to go is to have the, the, the form of government that's closest to the people make these decisions um, on what should be happening in each community. And so I, I think it's I think it's wrong for the gov- for the president to be doing this. And I think it's bad for the country for him to be doing it for this reason. I speak as someone who's been vaccinated, all the members of my family vaccinated, and I've urged people publicly and urged them now to go and get the vaccine. It's the best way to protect you and those around you. But there is division in this country over this. And when you do have the government play a very heavy hand, I'm fearful that he'll harden positions even more and make people even less likely to get vaccinated who haven't vaccinated yet. Yet we need to persuade people with facts. There are plenty of facts out there to persuade people with, and we need to be persistent at continuing to do that. Okay, let me ask you um, what I think is a difficult question, which is, uh, with that principle in mind that you've articulated so well, uh, what do you say about all of the vaccine mandates that exist in all 50 states, every single one of them? Mississippi has some of the toughest mandates in the country where they require vaccines for children to attend public schools. Uh, do you think those should be stripped away, or do you think those serve an important public purpose? No, I think they serve an important public purpose, and here's why I don't think the question is all that difficult. Over a period of time, those mandates have been put into place after input from you know citizens, from local governments, school boards, and all the rest um, to where states ultimately have those mandates. And New Jersey has a number of those mandates as well in our state. We're one of the tougher states in terms of vaccine mandates. I'm not opposed to it. I don't think it should come from the federal government, Michael. That's the difference. Well, I that's why that, well, when, I asked, when I asked you the question, I was asking if you were governor of New Jersey, would you work with uh, the president? I know some Democratic governors are. And it, do you think it's a, uh, a worthwhile goal to pursue, to try to get uh, more than uh, the 52 or 53% who are fully vaccinated now? That's something that the government should pursue? Yep, okay. Absolutely, and I think state government should pursue that. Each individual state in their own way has to to best persuade their people to do it. And ultimately, let's remember, 
We have only had one of these vaccines that's been fully approved yet by the FDA. So I think that one of the things that when you look at a vaccine mandate for, let's say, measles, measles or rubella or whooping cough or, you know, you go through all the ones that, you know, all my children have had and are required to have before they can enter school, polio vaccine, et cetera. All those now have gone through, you know, full FDA approval. And so I think that's part of what needs to be done here with all the vaccines. Pfizer vaccine has been fully approved. And, and I think the states will work through their way to persuade people to get the vaccine and then ultimately to require people to get the vaccine after all these things have been fully approved and tested out. But I don't think that it's the federal government's role to do that. And I don't think we've seen that done in the past, Michael. I don't think it's a smart thing to be doing now. Um. Okay, so is there a role for Joe Biden? He he campaigned on uh, trying to help reduce the impact of the pandemic, of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic across the country and around the world. Is there any role for the federal government? Sure. Um, the federal government's playing a, a lot of important roles. First, the entire development of the vaccine was a federal project. Um, and and I think, you know, this started to get politicized, unfortunately, during a presidential campaign where you had people like Vice President Harris saying that she wouldn't get the Trump vaccine approved by the Trump FDA. I mean, yeah, those terrible are things thing that have to say, damage. terrible thing to say, right? Caused damage. And, and it's part of the cause, not all of it, but part of the cause of the politicization, the hesitancy now. But I think, you know, the best thing President Biden can do is to be assembling groups of experts doctors and people who have gone through this had covid had the vaccine not had the vaccine and got covid we have a lot of those testimonials coming out now and we, and, the, and the best thing the president could be doing is be the persuader in chief not you know i said this on tv a couple of weeks ago you know there are sometimes when you're a leader of an executive branch of government where you have to come down with the hammer and you got to let the sledgehammer down in order to lead your people. And I, and you know, Michael, that's something that I was not reluctant <laughs> to do when I thought that's it was right. appropriate. But in this instance, what you need to do is be the persuader in chief first. And I don't think he's done enough of that. And I don't think he's assembled enough people to be out there having that message be heard all the time, um, especially from people who have not been vaccinated and have gotten COVID as a result in the Delta variant in particular, and what that experience was like for them. I saw today, I think it was Chris Rock, who I read a brief story on yeah. saying he got COVID and you don't want to mess with it. You don't want to get it. That's what people need to be hearing from people, both famous and, and regular folks who are not have any degree of fame about what's happened to them. As, as you probably know, Michael, I, two of my relatives passed away from COVID before a vaccine was available. They were in their early 60s in perfect health, no underlying conditions. And so this, this disease is very random and can be very deadly. And when you know both the fact that it's random and that it can be lethal, um, I think you need to hear that from the folks who have gone through things like that with their own family members um, to try to convince people that taking this vaccine is not anywhere near the kind of risk that not taking it is. I'm sure, uh, Governor Christie, you've seen Matt Bai's piece today about you, which is generally very favorable. Um, but he raises a question that I hope we will get to, which is that 
again, your speech at the Reagan Library was very well received. It that your book apparently charts out a new, fresh course for the Republican Party. Uh, the question I, I I would put to you, and and it may take more than we have in this segment. That's why we're going to another segment in a moment. But do you ever think back when you endorsed President Trump and you were the first of his rival candidates to drop out of the race and endorse Trump for the nomination in 2016? Do you ever think that that was a mistake? No, and the reason I don't, Michael, is because I make no apologies for trying to make sure that Hillary Clinton was never going to be president of the United States. It's one of the reasons I ran in the first place. Um, and it's, it's the number one reason that I endorsed Donald Trump at the time was that it was clear to me he was going to be the Republican nominee for president that after Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, that there was no one in that group who was going to stop him and that we needed to make sure Hillary Clinton wasn't going to be president of the United States. And, and what's happening right now would have been happening four years ago if she had won. Uh, Chris Christie, his uh, new book is called Republican Rescue. It's uh, coming out in a couple of weeks. He is coming right back on the Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved. Keep going. Don't ever stop. The Michael Medved Show. Chris Christie, the 55th governor of New Jersey, husband and proud father of four, and an ABC News political and legal contributor right at the moment. Uh, your, your book is called Republican Rescue, uh, Chris. And um, do you, uh, when, when a rescue is going on, it usually means there's a mortal danger. Do you believe that the... It is possible that within the next, oh, 5, 10, 20 years, the Republican Party would cease to exist as a major political force in the country? I don't think cease to exist, Michael, but I think we run the risk of no longer being an effective political party. And I'll give you the historical example. Um, the last time that the Republican Party lost the House, the Senate, and the White House, all within two years of each other, was 1930 to 1932 under Herbert Hoover. And after that, the Democratic Party went on to hold the White House 28 of the next 36 years and the House of Representatives 48 of the next 52. In my view, America would not be able to survive that kind of drought um, from, uh, of one-party rule uh, for that period of time given the circumstances confronting us around the world today. And so what we need to avoid is not the elimination of the Republican Party, but it no longer being an effective, winning political organization. And it's not like it's not possible. Uh, we saw it happen um, almost 90 years ago, um, and we see it happen again if we don't get back to having an attitude of serving the American people um, and winning elections. So you're talking in your book, and I know you speak whenever you have a chance to speak about it, more than just shuffling personalities. I mean, uh, today President uh, Trump uh, called for dumping Mitch McConnell 
as a leader in the Senate, which just seems to me an insanely divisive position to take when you're coming up to a crucial, crucial midterm election. But uh, other than swapping personnel or changing a leadership style, what needs to change fundamentally about the Republican Party? Oh, first off, to comment on what you just said, I, you know, anything we engage in that is backwards-looking as opposed to forwards-looking is self-defeating. And, Amen. you know, this is continuing, uh, you know, revenge, vendetta, grievance politics that is just doesn't serve the American people and as a result doesn't serve our party um, at well at all. In terms of what we need to go going forward is, we need to put the spotlight on what the Democrats are doing right now and to offer a very stark contrast. We need to get back to our roots, Michael, as a, as a party of fiscal conservatism. Um, we've lost our way in that regard. We gave in to the siren song of, you know, debt doesn't matter. Um, it does. And we're now seeing it because we gave permission for it um, in the first four years of the Trump administration. Um, now the Democrats are saying, well, you have no credibility to fight this fight because you didn't fight the fight um, against huge deficits when you were in power yourselves. We need to get back to those roots. We need to get back to understanding that this country is exceptional and strong, not only because of the great people in America and our great Constitution, but also because of the great friendships we've made around the world. We need to go back to tending to those alliances in a way that serves America because we don't have to buy our friends like the Chinese or the Russians. We make our friends because of who we are as a people and what we stand for and the freedom and liberty we stand for. We need to be getting back to those things. We need to bring American manufacturing back home so that we're never again held hostage by China or any other power when we have a crisis like we did with COVID and we were at the mercy of the Chinese for essential elements we needed to fight the pandemic. Those are all things that we need to be getting back to, and there are others, and we cover them all in a whole third section of the book about what we need to do going forward for America. And in terms of basically the uh, uh, Peggy Noonan wrote over the weekend about America losing the thread, people not able to connect with our past, not able to visualize a future, uh, it clearly... Going around the country, you've experienced, as I have, uh, the pessimism that seems to be descending like a dark, noxious cloud over the whole mood of the country. What's the most crucial element in trying to dispel that and return to that morning in America can-do spirit that President Reagan, our greatest recent president, um, made popular? Well, you just hit it. It, it. In the American system of government, there is no replacement for a strong, consistent, ethical voice as president. And we haven't had that. And, and, and the fact of the matter is we need to get to it again. Um, remember how dark the days were, Michael, and you and I are both old enough to remember the dark days of Jimmy Carter's presidency. And this Biden presidency has started to remind me very much of the Carter presidency, incompetence, uh, pessimism anger, failure, um, and Ronald Reagan came in and changed all that, not only because he had a strong, consistent, conservative philosophy, but also through the dint of his own personality, 
which was positive and optimistic about this country and its future. And, and that's why I went to the Reagan Library 10 days ago, was to remind people that there was a day like that and there can be a day like that again, um, but we need to focus on America's future and having the type of leaders who are not just attacking each other and engaging in grievance politics, but are, are looking forward to trying to improve the lives of the American people by providing them with opportunity, not with a handout, Michael, but with opportunity for greatness. And that's what Reagan gave us, and that's what we achieved in the 80s under Reagan and continued into the early 90s, uh, and it's where we have to get back to. Reagan also had remarkable success, actually, working with Democrats. He had a Democrat-controlled House of Representatives all eight years of his presidency. Uh, is it possible at all to work with uh, the other side of the aisle uh, with the radical tinge that the Democrats have taken on? Well, it's not possible to work with the radical portions of the Democratic Party, but it is possible, I think, to work with Democrats. We see that with Joe Manchin. We see it with Kristen Cinema. We see it with the Problem Solvers Caucus um, uh, in, the, in the House of Representatives. There are elements of their party out there that we can work with. And look, Michael, I had a fully Democratic legislature for all eight years that I was governor, yet we accomplished extraordinary things together. Um, and we did it by making sure that compromise was not seen as a dirty word, not seen as a villainous or treasonous word, but one that our founders set up our government to try to ensure would be necessary to get results. And that's what I did when I was governor. And I and so from that experience, and I don't think you have much tougher Democrats across the country than you have in the state of New Jersey, which is one of the bluest states in the country. Um, and we all work together to figure out a way to work together. Um, you need to get up close to those folks. You need to work with them and try to make things happen because the country's interests need to come first. Amen to all of that. And by the way, your senator from New Jersey, Senior Senator Bob Menendez, has been pretty tough on the Biden administration. Haven't you been a little bit surprised to see that? Well, look, I think that Senator Menendez, I have been a little bit surprised, but not completely surprised. Senator Menendez, on many issues of foreign policy, um, is not with the way left of his party. You know, he's been not very tough on issues regarding Cuba. He's been very tough. Um, now you see him now on what they've done in Afghanistan. Um, he was very tough on the Iranian um, nuclear deal and was opposed to that when, when the Obama administration, the Obama-Biden administration did it. So there have been moments when my senator, despite some of the disagreements we have on other things, um, has, has done a very good job for the American public. And I think right now he's being a voice in the Democratic Party in the wilderness against what Biden did in Afghanistan and his foreign policy in general. Uh, amen to that. And then, by the way, Bob Menendez, also a pretty solid friend of Israel, which, um, uh, which matters. And uh, Chris Christie, uh, your, your book's coming out. Anything else uh, exciting project? You're, you're going to be campaigning for Republican candidates across the country in yes, 2022? We're, we're I am, Michael. We're, we're, I am the co-chair of the Executive Roundtable Program, fundraising program for the Republican Governors Association. When I left as RGA chairman, we had 33 Republican governors. Uh, we're down to 27 now. We need to get wow. that number back up across the country. And during COVID, we saw how important the role of governors was if we had forgotten. 
And I also am now co-chairing with Mike Pompeo, the National Republican Redistricting Trust, to be the counterbalance to the Obama Holder Group that wants to sue their way to maintain a House Democratic majority. Pompeo and I are going to be out there helping Republicans across the country make sure we get fair and constitutional maps. And remain this greatest nation on God's green earth.